Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics? They talk, we listen. My guest's fruitful career started over 30 years ago in economics and banking. He's worked in senior management and leading positions in organisations such as the International Monetary Fund, the Swiss National Bank and the Swiss Federal Department of Economic Affairs. A highly skilled negotiator, he's extensive leadership experience at national and international level. I'm looking forward to this conversation today as we dive into capital markets reform, financial literacy and future challenges. But before we get into that, here's a message from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by KPMG. In today's ever-changing climate, agility and flexibility are essential to maintain, grow and understand in an uncertain world. Whatever challenges your organisation is facing, we can help maximise opportunity while minimising risk, both today and for the future. Future success means being connected to customers, to market dynamics and digital signals, to employees, to channel and business partners and aligning across the front, middle and back offices. We'll help you to align, to serve the customers better and deliver greater return on investment. With deep sector insight and the latest thinking, KPMG Connected Enterprise provides a sustainable, risk-optimized route from strategy through execution with the tools, methods, frameworks and solutions your organization needs to succeed in today's turbulent world. KPMG Connected Enterprise can offer you an insight-driven, digitally-enabled roadmap to efficiency and agility that delivers sustainable growth to your organization today and tomorrow. Start your digital transformation journey now with KPMG Connected Enterprise. Heads Talk Podcast with your host Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. Privcap Resources Group is a fast-growing Canadian-based private capital leaders platform facilitating access to investment insights, resources and capital for its members. It runs senior-level forums on private equity, venture capital and real estate under the brand name The Club Series in North America and the Euros Forum in Europe. Go Real 2021, its up-and-coming private equity real estate forum, will be held online this spring for details, please visit us at www.clubseries.org. Heads Talk Podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. Jakob Schad is a partner in the law firm Lindemann Rexenwelter. He's also a lecturer on financial markets and asset management, as well as a member of the scientific board at Swiss Capital Market Reform. Jakob has held a number of key positions in the financial sector to include Deputy CEO, Head of Private Banking and Asset Management in Swiss Bankers Association, Deputy Head of Management, International Monetary Relations for the Swiss National Bank, Senior Advisor to the Swiss Executive Director at the IMF, which is the International Monetary Fund, and he's also been an Economic, Financial and Monetary Policy Advisor to the then Swiss President Doris Leutard. We're not finished yet. Jakob not only has a Bachelor's and a PhD in Economics from the University of Zurich, He's also multilingual and speaks five languages, English, German, French, Italian, and Russian. With his profound in-depth knowledge on government affairs and the political process, as well as financial, economic, and socio-economic policy, Jakob will provide us with valuable insights here today at Hestorp. 
So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Jakob to Head Talk. Delighted to have you here today. Nice to having me. Thank you, Elaine. You're welcome. Okay, um, let's start. Um, I, I saw a meme the other day, very interesting meme, and it made me question the education system and especially the um, education curriculum today. Yes, a large part of this should be shouldered on the, the parents, but it struck me as being a common sense thing to do in schools as well. It was, uh, the meme, a list of things that should be taught in schools that's currently not. So my question to you is, do you think public and compulsory schooling is preparing our young well enough for the future and the challenges ahead? Are they, the young, through compulsory schooling, equipped to compete with their counterparts on a global level? What do you think for today and the future should be included in compulsory schooling that's not already there? Well, uh, um, I think education is very important, uh, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, in public education, public education should prepare uh, people uh, for their lives in, in the future world. Now, if you look at how our world is changing um, with the rapid uh, technological uh, progress, which is in our time now, digitization, obviously education should prepare um, people uh, for for this digitization. Now, how does because how does digitization um, affect uh, their job opportunities later on? Um, digitization creates more jobs. Uh, is actually a job creator uh, for high skilled uh, high skilled individuals. So high skilled jobs they will be created. However, mid-skilled mid jobs and uh, uh, to a little lesser extent, low-skilled jobs uh, will be uh, actually destroyed. So um, obviously here, uh, this generation has to be prepared uh, for digitization. Uh, I, think, I, I think Switzerland has been quite well in preparing, uh, preparing uh, individuals for this new world. Um, because we've seen that uh, actually these, this technical progress has not created uh, a lot of unemployment. Why? Because the population actually moved upwards uh, with its education together with, uh, with the challenges that it faced. So we're better off than other countries uh, like, uh, for example, the United States where uh, uh, the educational efforts have not moved in the same mm -hmm. way as they have here. Um, however, I do feel that uh, in the Swiss education system, uh, more emphasis uh, should be uh, put also on really um, doing the things that create uh, the value added, which is really actually programming and not just using uh, those mm -hmm. services. But someone has to produce them and that's where the jobs will be. Uh, so that's certainly uh, the case. Mm -hmm. um, another thing that comes to mind is financial literacy. Yes. Uh, now here with financial literacy, because surprisingly uh, uh, across the OECD, uh, financial literacy is not great. And uh, there is evidence that actually that financial literacy or illiteracy mm -hmm. <laughs> enhances, enhances uh, wealth inequality, uh, particularly um, with old age wealth. Uh, that that there's, um, there's evidence that uh, old age wealth inequality is increased by 30 to 40% by uh, financial illiteracy. Mm. Or let's say financial literacy that is unevenly spread. Mm -hmm. uh, now, 
Should we enhance that in school? Maybe, but we should also be aware that you can't teach everything um, to people who are not really interested in it. Uh, well, obviously, you should, you should find some, some interest. You should uh, be able to, to, to enhance such interest. But you should also do um, other things. Um, yeah. If you look at, if you look at uh, wealth, uh, what we measuring wealth inequality and talking about wealth inequality, we are very often unaware that uh, an important part of wealth uh, is our old age is the pension system. Uh, mm -hmm. and now in Switzerland, in our three pillar system, the second pillar, which is a funded system, is is um, for many people, especially. Uh, low-skilled, lower-skilled workers. Uh, this is the most important part of their their wealth and old age. So, mm -hmm. it is important not only to to teach people um, how to uh, save and if, invest uh, uh, efficiently, distribute, mm -hmm. uh, let's say, their wealth, their income. Yes, uh, yes across their, their life efficiently, but also to see that this important pillar of their wealth is well managed. Yes. And, and here. Yeah, and, and you, you said interest, but um, I believe that whether they're interested in or not on comp a compulsory level, they should actually be taught maybe some of the basics of it, surely, because they will need to use it whether they like it or not. And I, I just think it's, I, I, I believe it's, it should be in compulsory education to whatever degree that can be debated. But um, before we move on to the, the next question, I'd, I'd just like to list what's on the meme itself, and you've, you've covered some of them. The number one was accounting, number two was ma money management, three taxes, and four, building and keeping good credit, and five, picking the right career, and then it goes on, I think, up to nine, six, nutrition, seven, self-defense, eight, time management, nine, and self-confidence. However, I'm not sure about the last one. I doubt that can be taught. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'd, I'd probably be add for myself communication skills and negotiation strategies, which is in your area. And mm -hmm. I, I agree with you on the digital literacy, um, ethics, and perhaps basic philosophy, um, if that's not taught already. It's just sort of opening their minds and sort of expanding their, their thinking. I thought I'll do that. Now, um, the, the first question that I've just asked you made me think um, of a problem, a forthcoming problem, not just here in, in Switzerland, but in other countries that I, um, I would include the UK in on this. Um, nobody likes talking about this, but if you are fortunate enough to live to such an age, you have to address the pension topic and your own provision. I believe there is a loophole, but correct me if I'm wrong, Jacob. Um, there are more and more people who are self-employed in Switzerland, and this, that number's going to increase. Um, pension setup is not compulsory for them, and as a result, they're at risk for the future. What policies should be implemented to ensure that this gap, lack of compulsory savings for a pension, is addressed so that there will not be a, uh, a major burden on the state to, to adequately manage these individuals. And to add to this, as a side question, what's going to happen to Generation X? And I believe you and I fall into Generation X in terms of the fact that we were born in the yeah. mid 60s to early 80s, when they reach the current boomers pension age with insufficient pension funds. Well, yes, I guess pension is pensions now is a uh, important topic. Uh, around the world. We, we live in an aging society and I particularly so in Europe and also in Switzerland. So 
uh, pensions are in general in general a uh, will be a challenge and and, and uh, if you if you're talking about the baby boomers uh, mm -hmm. yeah i'm certainly uh, one of the baby boomers one of the last ones which is probably the most difficult <laughs> after you fall into the um, generation yes. next maybe I'm yes <laughs> yes uh, exactly so we're going to be obviously old age dependency ratios will in the next 40 years according to the OECD and that's you know in the numbers the demography um, really moves slowly so that's pretty clear old age dependency will roughly um, roughly double within the next 40 years uh, in Switzerland now roughly three working people are supporting one one uh, person who is um, retired and, and that's going to move to a little less than two so there there, there, there certainly is a challenge here pensions mm -hmm. Pensions, um, the pension system is is being reformed. Has been in Switzerland uh, a great topic for for some time, and uh, here uh, things haven't moved very much in the last fifteen years. There have been several attempts to move uh, in this, um, but I would argue that those attempts were trying to uh, move in, in in three dimensions only, which are unpalatable. Uh, for the insured, for the, for the people who are insured in this pension system. And that is uh, working longer, uh, um, having lower pensions uh, when you finally retire and, uh, and, and putting more into the system so that saving more basically. So these are unpalatable uh, as such. Obviously, if demography is moving and you are, have the, uh, the luck, uh, the fortune of living longer, you will have to do something to be able to um, assure those pensions. Now, the third part, which is in, is in a funded system, really very important is the returns on, on the capital that is invested in, in the compulsory uh, pension system. And I think here, um, Switzerland could do more and could also be moving the reforms in the right direction, putting something into the reforms that uh, could benefit uh, um, everyone, in fact. Uh, now, of course, uh, no miracles can be done, but uh, managing a pension system is essentially an asset management uh, mm. task. And that can, the framework for that, to be sure that investment, uh, that incentives are uh, set right, that uh, you are really able, if the system is really has incentives to create a performance uh, with the risks that uh, you would like to take and with the guarantees in the system uh, to, to, to have a, a performance that is incentives that really enhances this performance. Mm -hmm. I think this should be more discussed in Switzerland and analyzed. Mm. Now, I'm, I'm actually, I am myself involved in a project who is looking at that and uh, we, we think that uh, there is certainly something to be uh, to be uh, done in this in this part. We will this will also be uh, enable us to move forward in a in a reform area that is absolutely crucial, as you said, uh, or yes. else baby boomers and the generations afterwards mm -hmm. uh, will have been yes. paying a lot of money and and being really getting the short end of this yes. deal. Yes. Yes. Um, um, yes. No, I, I was wondering, would you like to expand on your project if you can, or um, are we really still just in discussion stages? There's no steps forward? <laughs> That's a good question. No, we're not. 
uh, as reform is is uh, is uh, is concerned, we are well. We are still in the discussion session. Parliament is actually taking up uh, a proposal by the federal council, but this proposal again only uh, moves on on the uh, the pensions, uh, on the the uh, the pensions uh, contributions, and on the on the size of the pensions that are being paid. And it's already obvious now that it is, will be quite difficult to find any solution within this because there's just too many, too many interests against, against mm. this. So my political uh, experience is that, that if you get stuck, you have to put some new elements in there. You have to you know, think about something that really changes uh, this dynamic uh, or let's say static because that's what it's become mm. now. And I believe looking at uh, the asset management aspect of the pensions uh, would be one of those one of those elements. Mm -hmm. um, we've, with a group of academics and financial market practitioners, we've uh, done some preliminary uh, studies last year. Uh, and we've, we've, according to our results, uh, just by investing the same taking the same risk, actually one or two percent of um, additional performance should be possible. Now, why is that? Um, as an economist, usually, uh, if this happens, mm -hmm. something in the regulatory framework sets incentives, not in a way that really enhances, really enhances performance uh, with, the given, with the given risk here, of course, you can't um, with a certain risk, you can also you only you can only only earn earn a certain performance. But according to our results, we are not there. So I think we really should look at that and look at how we uh, could redesign the system mm -hmm. uh, to put those incentives right. Uh, the Swiss system is a system that has grown uh, from a pre-compulsory system that was was created by employers into a compulsory system um, in the last uh, century, um, around the 80s. And this grown system, many, many elements are still the same. So really, I mean, sometimes you have to take a step back to be able to leap better afterwards. And I really think, uh, I know it's always tough because, uh, because the challenges are there. We all see them. But yes. if you can't, you don't move, it's still better to take one step back and look at the whole system and really think how you can reform the system to set these things right. Nice. So this is what our project, um, this is what we've, we've been thinking about. Uh, and uh, uh, we have some preliminary ideas. Um, mm. so um, does, your, does, your, does your project extend to the, the first thing we talked about, which is the education system? Um, not directly. Well, indirectly, and I think I've uh, just expanded. I just talked about that uh, because the pension, of course, the pension wealth is, is a very important part of the uh, uh, part of, of the wealth um, of the general population. In fact, for the less skilled workers, this is the, the, the most important part. Uh, so it really depends on what the performance is in that part. Now, um, so indirectly, I address that um, uh, by saying well, you have to, you you need to be, uh, you need to make sure that you have an adequate uh, 
an adequate uh, performance in the pension system because you will uh, you will mitigate also inequality in mm -hmm. uh, old age wealth. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Just this is a side question. Um, mm -hmm. If it's not within your remit, we can pass on it. But you know, Japan has a high rate of pension age people there, and mm -hmm. much, is there something that could be learned from there? Is this, is this something that could be talked with from, with them on that? I don't know. Well, um, I really don't know the the Japanese case in particular. Mm -hmm. I must admit, but I do know that Japan had our old age. Uh, let's say let's say the challenges of. Um, of, um, of demographic aging much earlier than we had. And they understood that much, much earlier. Uh, when I was, when I worked for the Swiss National Bank uh, about 15 years ago, I think, uh, or more, um, I was one of those who was working for the G10. Now, <laughs> probably not many people still know what the G10 are, which actually it was a group of 11 most important uh, uh, industrial countries at the time. And Switzerland was a member of that. And I was working on a project of thinking about old age and the effects on pension at, this, at that time. And Japan, uh, as part of the G10, was one of the very few countries that was already aware of, um, of, the, of these challenges. Mm -hmm. But uh, I really, I don't know enough about the Japanese re a reaction, a Japanese system to, mm -hmm. to really expand on that. Mm -hmm. Oh, I just thought perhaps it's something we should look into. Okay, um, let's move on to the next question. This question is really about, once again, it's still about discussions. There seems to be a lot of discussions as I'm moving forward. Are we having the right discussions now for the challenges um, of the future? If you observe today's focus, ideals, conversations and priorities, and the current policies and strategies to address them, and then you compare that with the challenges of the future, say in 10 to 30 years times, population growth, new demographics, climate change issues, um, the wealth divide. Do you think we are adequately addressing and preparing for these challenges? In fact, are we actively or passively talking about this? You know, a nation or, or a national or an international problem that will mature in say 20 years will need some major planning well before that. What say you, Jakob? Well, <laughs> I think that's a very important point uh, right now. And thank you very much for this question. Right now, we are um, struggling to manage a pandemic. Um, yeah. And it's, it's a very ser serious situation. We've had a, a downturn that is, uh, that is historic, uh, an economic downturn that is historic and, and all the wealth problems that come with it. And I, in no way I want to belittle it, but uh, if you look at the challenges that are out there, um, um, then you really, this is really, this really highlights the importance of preparation and planning. Um, um, you can see with the pandemic, with the corona pandemic, you can see if you, you can see this lag between uh, putting measures into place and the effects of, the, of, of those measures with uh, corona you put measures into place and it takes roughly 10 days until you see your first effect, which is uh, the, um, um, the time it takes for the disease to, uh, to break out once you're, you're, once you're affected, mm -hmm. at least on average. So um, if, if you are taking measures too late, uh, if you haven't been prepared for it, um, there is great danger of things getting out of control. We've seen this now in this pandemic 
Uh, but 10 days, if you look at other challenges, yes. is really very short. If you look at climate change, uh, those uh, times, those reaction times and are much, much longer. And I think climate change is one of those challenges. Mm -hmm. uh, if you take effect, if you put measures into effect, it will take very, very long uh, for those to really have a measurable yes. effect. That means <clears throat> it is even more important uh, to put measures in place and effective measures in place much earlier. So I'd say what we're going through now is a serious challenge, but it, it should be actually, it should be, should be a, a warning light for us uh, how, how we have to prepare for, uh, for much greater challenges. Just let's say much more challenges that are much more difficult to deal with in the short run mm -hmm. or even impossible. Mm -hmm. I believe with climate change, um, now we cannot, we cannot only, uh, where um, <clears throat> global warming plays an important role, just stopping global warming is probably cannot be the only measure at all. Uh, we also have to go into mitigation of the effects that uh, global warming will have. So here, I think uh, clearly plan always meets, uh, always beats no plan. Uh, and um, so ever so often, if you have, have challenges that look to be far away, even if the reaction channels uh, are, are very long, long, long term, uh, it's very difficult to get on the same page. <laughs> if you look at, if you look at um, climate change, uh, we, haven't really, we haven't really been able to put into place uh, agreements and measures that that have really made a, a huge difference. So this is a this is a huge challenge that we have to think about it. And this is, you know, many of the measures. Uh, these measures really have to be thought about in, in a whole system. It's not just um, you know stop growth. Uh, uh, you cannot get out. <laughs> you cannot get out of the realities in this in, mm -hmm. uh, in this uh, in this world. Um, and uh, but there are ways to integrate the cost of 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 uh, of, uh, of the climate of of uh, the external effects uh, in a way that incentives would put uh, would uh, make sure that that that, um, that we um, care more for the for the environment and uh, and the long term effects that that will be very very difficult to turn around. In, indeed, and I, and I sort of um, suspect that in taking action now for a problem that's going to happen in 10 to 20 years time, the government of the time probably don't want that in their budget and expenditure and, and having to justify that. Let, let's continue with the global theme uh, and look at um, Switzerland's position on the world state. A, a straightforward question, I hope. Um, Switzerland has had a, a long held position as the negotiator between various powers. In the last 10 years, um, how has Switzerland's position changed, um, would you say? Um, has its influence waned or strengthened and why? Well, that's, it's pretty obvious that the, the influence of Switzerland has, has waned. I mean, I was talking about, about the G10 uh, earlier on and the G10 no longer exists. Uh, um, mm -hmm. There we were very important, uh, obviously, mm -hmm. and our importance is is not as, is is not that big anymore. Now, the world has changed, and uh, Switzerland is, I think, really struggling to find to find a place here. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I think 
a big change for Switzerland was the end of the Cold War, which, of course, everyone was um, very happy to see this end. This end. Uh, however, uh, since I perceive Switzerland uh, often like being in a permanent identity crisis, uh, where do we belong? We don't belong to the European Union. We don't belong, of course, not to U.S. We're not. We're kind of um, on our own, and that uh, makes things difficult. Um, obviously, and it's very hard to have an influence in such a world. Uh, anyway, in general, I believe. Uh, a medium power like Switzerland, a multilateral system, uh, international system, is is the best thing uh, for a country to be in the uh, of a medium power like, like Switzerland to be able to have an influence and bring its influence into into the world. But you know, it's true. Um, we have to think about these things. How can we? What what is our angle? And and here, how can we uh, increase? Our, our weight, uh, how can we punch uh, at our weight again? Because I often feel that we don't, we don't punch um, um, at our weight, but, but below our weight. Have you got any ideas? Well, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that's a good question. Obviously, this is, is difficult, but at least we should start discussing now. I think if we, in our generation, we won't, we won't see uh, us. Um, uh, joining the European Union, so we have to find a place somewhere, somewhere different. And I think uh, here, you know, the interesting thing with Switzerland is I sometimes also have the impression that we vacillate between um, a totally unwarranted inferiority complex and hubris. Uh, <laughs> in the first instance, we 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 feel we have to submit to any any uh, pressures that comes upon us. And in the other, we, we feel we can uh, uh, bring a, a hegemon, a global hegemon, to, to its knee. So we have to find a better way here. Mm -hmm. I think this means really thinking about new alliances, other alliances, also uncon unconventional alliances. Um, and so we, at least we have to start thinking about that. Uh, because, and I say unconventional alliances also uh, because in international relations uh, there are no friends there are interests and yes. uh, here somehow it's not that people if that, that Switzerland is is being pushed out it's just that our importance compared to others uh, is not is not the same uh, that it has been before could Switzerland perhaps use um new technologies and its, its, its stance in, in digitalization in, in the digital space to bring them back to the, I don't know, to the, the place they were in when they were very influential pre the Cold War, as you say. It's, it's certainly part of, the, of, of our economic power, which is, which is considerable, I would argue. And that's where we are very often much too close uh, to an inferiority complex. Um, I think, yeah, this is certainly an area, but this is an area that, in fact, every, anyone should should uh, should invest. Uh, if you look at the economy, I think we're not to, we're not we're, we're pretty well placed. However, you know, if we look at financial financial services, mm -hmm. I'm not always here. Again, I'm not sure that we're punching um, uh, at our weight. 
were punching below our weight, I think uh, we, we've been a center traditionally of, of banking and we're an important yeah. financial center, no doubt about that. But I do think that uh, traditional in the traditional financial sector in Switzerland, digitization is is not moving as quickly as in right. as in other countries. And I, you know, for example, asset management that that I know well, a lot of things uh, a lot of things are done in a much better way by algorithms. Uh, so digitization here is extremely important. It's not just the digitization of convenience yeah. that you can look at your wealth, how it develops. That's all nice. But you, you know, the more complicating things, complicated things, how you should allocate uh, allocate your different assets, uh, including, uh, let's say, real estate or whatever you have. Those things, those things are, you know, um, very much facilitated with with digitization. I don't think we're doing what we can do there yet. Right. Uh, and if you look at uh, neo banks in, in uh, other countries, they're not necessarily being created here; they are uh, created elsewhere. Um, so, right. yeah, I think digitization is important. Is it important to regain a place on the political scene? Um, well, it certainly is on the economic scene. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, this is a must. Uh, uh, that's mm-hmm. for sure. Okay. All right. So, there's some work to do. Okay. Um, Staying with the international scene, I want to briefly talk about the the U.S. election, the recent election of Joe Biden. Um, I think one thing we've all noticed that it's quieter than the previous administration. Um, nevertheless, um, how does the election of Joe Biden change the dynamics um, on the global stage? Will there be changes to the relationship between China, Europe, Russia, even? What are the implications for Switzerland? You mentioned. Switzerland needs to develop new alliances. So I'll be interested in your take on this. Yes, I think there's um, really a lot that is changing. And I liked with with the presidency of uh, Joe Biden. Um, so and I, I think there are two things that are that are well, maybe that actually belongs to the same to the same uh, phenomenon. Um, Joe Biden is a multilateralist. I think mm-hmm. he he's really showed that uh, most clearly when with his decision to rejoin the Paris, yes. the Paris Climate Agreement right away. So he's a multilateralist. I've talked about that earlier. For a, a mid-sized power like Switzerland, a multilateral uh, system with global rules uh, is the best way to to. To, to, to get to, to be able to bring yourself into those decisions and be part of the decisions that impact our country very much. So that's for Switzerland. That will that will that that's a that's a good change. Um, I'm I'm uh, I'm convinced. You were talking about China. Well, China is probably one of the things that uh, the, the relationship between the U.S. and China is probably one of the things that will not change very much uh, within yeah, from from administration of, of uh, former President Trump to the administration of, of President uh, Joe, Joe Biden. So that's probably something where uh, general interests uh, will be more important than the personal way to, to address it. Um, so for Swi- what does it mean for Switzerland? Multilateralism as opposed to um, an, uh, former President Trump's <coughs> transactionalism is, is certainly good for Switzerland. If you look at the specific uh, chances, opportunity that the relationship between the US and, and, and Switzerland 
um, or, um, uh, that concern the relationship between between Switzerland and and, and the U.S. Um, um, my mind comes to the uh, the free trade agreement that has been negotiated for some time, or let's say envisaged uh, between the, the two countries. Here, um, well, a free trade agreement between the two countries is nothing new. Actually, at the, the beginning of this millennium, there have already been negotiations, but they've been they 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 stalled, or <laughs> to, to put it more. Uh, more distinctly, um, it's Switzerland that actually abandoned that effort. Mm -hmm. I've always been uh, a friend of the idea of a free trade agreement with with uh, with the U.S. Mm -hmm. because it's a, such an important power after the European Union for for Switzerland. Mm -hmm. Here, I think actually it would have been easier with President Trump to find an agreement, but even with him, because he didn't think in the same in the same categories uh, of power blocks and the, the important and the alliances that the US uh, now with this administration and uh, historically after the Second World War has been thinking um, here, Switzerland, for President Trump, that was an advantage probably that Switzerland wasn't part of the bloc and uh, in his his world, but, that, that, that would have been an advantage. But Joe Biden, we're just probably not very high up in the priority list. <laughs> um, okay. Looks like he has other priorities right now. You, you said it would have been a, an advantage to negotiate this. Um, yes. While Trump was in power in administration, but it did, it did stall, doesn't it? It stalled. It, it did stall. Before, yes. And then yes. when Trump was in power, it stalled. So, was it an advantage, really? Well, it didn't turn out to be sufficient. <laughs> it's just, you know, I think the administration of former President Trump was, um, was also quite unpredictable. It looked like uh, an opportunity, but yes. in the end, it didn't work out. I think it should, should still be pursued. And uh, I think the US is generally interested in, in, in having free trade agreements. But here we, we have to be realist that uh, we're probably not, well, we're on the priority list somewhere, yeah, but I mean, even before the administration of, of Trump, I've heard, well, directly, well, yeah, sure, we want that, but um, it's not, let's say, very up, very okay. high up on, on the priority yeah. list. And I think here it's especially important not to succumb to hubris. Um, you know, mm -hmm. The U.S., if, it's the, if it uh, negotiates free trade agreements, they have a certain template agreement on their mind. And uh, you know, there are also content uh, challenges, uh, challenges yeah, content yeah. here. Uh, and I think of agriculture. I've, I mean, I've been discussing with uh, representatives uh, of the uh, of the U.S. about that when I worked uh, in previous in previous uh, lives, mm -hmm. uh, not that long ago. Uh, and they said, "Look, agriculture, the way Switzerland has a particularly protected agriculture agricultural market." And that is difficult for the U.S. And let's say that's difficult to find an agreement uh, mm -hmm. here. Something most possible, most probable has to, uh, probably has to move for us to be able to have an agreement here. Okay. Okay. Let, let's um, let's look at capital market reforms and the Bank okay. Secrecy Act. Um, in in two thousand and nine, uh, the Swiss government decided to comply with the 
OECD standards for tax-related queries. Um, what is your take on the, the Swiss financial markets after these developments? Is the bank secrecy dead? Or are there still some loopholes which um, are being explored to circumvent this transparency? And, and what is or was the impact of the financial marketplace? Well, uh, first, the impact of this change towards a transparent, fiscally transparent financial world. I think that Switzerland uh, has, has managed very well. The Swiss financial uh, sector has managed very well in, in changing to this, to this new world. And, uh, and this was, I, I would say this was not obvious because, you know, fiscal considerations were just not important if, if dealing with clients before, mm -hmm. because it was not something that is in the realm of, of between, it was not something between the client and um, that uh, and the uh, and the bank and financial uh, financial uh, uh, financial um, product um, supplier uh, to discuss that that has changed dramatically and it has also changed focus on on the performance of of the surface uh, service itself i think we haven't seen uh, uh assets flowing out of Switzerland in the way some people were, mm -hmm. were um, thinking that would be possible. So Switzerland, uh, certainly the, the financial sector certainly managed that quite well. Um, you also ask, well, do we have fiscal transparency now? Yes. Uh, are there loopholes? Well, we have a, we have a, we have a, a global standard now, an OECD standard, on the exchange of information on tax matters, uh, automatic exchange of information, and uh, almost every everyone adheres to that standard. Uh, well, there is one notable exception, that's the United States, which has also has a financial, tra uh, financial transparency, fiscal transparency law, if you want to call it that way, which is called FAC FATCA. But um, essentially, FATCA is unilateral. Um, the U.S. Uh, gets all the information, but the information doesn't flow automatically the other way. So there is a loophole, uh, certainly, and it's an important player. Mm -hmm. But in general, I think this is a new world. Uh, it's a tax transparent world uh, where focus will be more on, on the performance of the financial service itself. And that is a very different world. And I think we've so far uh, so far, the financial Swiss financial sector has has done that well. I mean, it's it, you know there was a myth that everything was just about taxes and with the Swiss financial center. That's most obviously not true. Um, it was never clear, always clear that that was never the same. The only the only uh, element in in the success of the of the Swiss financial market, but now now this is obvious. But it's a new world, and uh, we have to reorganize ourselves uh, in this new world. It, and if performance, if transparency uh, also enhances the possibility of comparing uh, for, the, for the clients to compare uh, what you get from your, financial, from your financial service provider. And so, yes, but uh, this is competition. That's good. Uh, you know. Coming back to digitization, I think that's one of one of the elements 
that will decide on uh, whether you if whether you get a good a good financial service or not mm -hmm. and whether a client is is happy with that and you know the choice will be more obviously uh will be more obvious for for the client and so pressure and the importance of keeping up and and providing excellent service uh, has uh, has uh, has really increased so, so Switzerland has adapted quite well and I think it has, has adapted quite well but it's really no time for for complacency uh, I think as I said before I think in digitizing uh, we're not at the forefront we're not terrible but uh, we mm. can still do more okay right um, right, I, I'm fascinated by this last question and I'm looking forward to your thoughts on this. Um, I've called it déjà vu and the listeners will understand why. It's about the current pandemic or, or the end of it and what will happen thereafter. Naturally, um, we will be in a reflective and celebratory mood and perhaps have a period of growth, excessive growth even. At the turn of the 20th century, there was an economic boom at the end of the Spanish flu pandemic, the start of the roaring 20s, as it was affectionately known, and the subsequent stock market crash, and then the Great Depression thereafter. What are your thoughts on the potential for another boom and bust, history repeating itself? Are we actively monitoring this so that we don't have a repeat of the history, or are these two totally different circumstances? <laughs> Are they totally different circumstances? Probably not, but they are not the same either. I would think, um, you know, does history repeat itself? Um, I don't know, it doesn't repeat itself, but it certainly stutters. So we, <laughs> we should be preferred, we should be prepared not to do the same mistakes we did before. I think a few things are different. It's true, we've, we're coming out of a pandemic. Well, at least I hope that we're still in it, we're still, um, struggling with it. Um, we've had the financial crisis that, uh, you know, the financial crisis in, um, that ensued after the pandemic and after the First World War was roughly 10 years later. Um, I mean, we've seen a financial crisis uh, with uh, similarities mm -hmm. uh, to the, that crash um, like 10 years ago. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, 2008, 2008 uh, crisis, yeah. some, some of those elements are were certainly the same we had an asset asset price an asset price boom or, yeah arguably a, a bubble we had a banking system yeah. um, that didn't didn't cope well uh, well Switzerland actually coped better than in other countries um, and the financial financial uh, sector crisis that that started in the financial sector tend to be um, tend to take much longer uh, to, to iron out than, than other economic other economic problems. So we've kind of had that that crisis already and uh, financial institutions, at least banks, uh, are much more resilient than before the financial crisis uh, of 2008. So I think this is an element that will not be exactly the same. Uh, we, we will hopefully have a a bust, uh, boom. What am I saying? We'll hopefully, have, <laughs> have a recovery, <laughs> a recovery after this horrible, uh, after this pandemic. Um, we'll see how how this will how this will pan out. And obviously, there are there are challenges there, and are they the same? 
um, well, the pandemic uh, in the, in 1918, uh, when was the last? Yes, uh, 1918. 1918 or 1919 was the last wave. Uh, well, already the timing of the financial crisis mm -hmm. isn't the same. So, well, we'll see how it pans out. I'm, it's, it's, I was, <laughs> in, in a way, it's sort of the same. The, the Spanish flu had three waves. Um, yes. We're going through our second. Yes, and if absolutely. we have a third wave, I think we need to sort of hold on, <laughs> hold on to our seats here. I mean, just a thought, would we need to have a task force, I don't know, in the financial sector, just to make sure and monitor that we don't go down that road? Because, you know, as I said, with the, the history repeating itself, it was a major crash and the depression that came afterwards was, wasn't very pleasant. So just thought oh, that's true. You know, something that they should look into. Hey. Thank you so much for a fascinating discussion on his talk today. Jakob Shah, thank you. It was my pleasure. Time and insights. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, or wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executive decision makers and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk Podcast with your host Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.